You'll keep your Bibles open to Acts chapter 15. We're going to continue our study of the book of Acts during this lesson. It has been a great series of lessons that the beloved physician Luke provided for us in the book of Acts. I believe that the book of Acts has furnished us with a pattern for dealing with a number of different things. It's furnished us with a pattern of how to be saved. It's furnished us with a pattern of the organization of the local church. And it's also going to furnish us a pattern of how to address problems. You see, churches face conflicts and struggles. Every congregation of which I have ever been a part has had certain kinds of struggles and certain kinds of difficulties. When you start thinking about those difficulties, some of them are involving persecution from without. When you and I preach the truth, it is often going to come in conflict with the people of the world, particularly on moral issues in our day as we strike out and we try to tell the world, this is what God says on the nature of the home. Even when we deal with such basic passages as Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Many people want to believe that God did not create. It was only the product of some natural means. In Genesis 1 and verse 26, we learn, In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. We live in a world today where people can't even decide what gender means. And the church finds itself under persecution from those who are without. But we also realize that there are some who are presumptuous from within. The word presumptuous carries with the idea of being self-willed. The Bible often speaks of this as a selfish ambition. There are those within the body of Christ who want recognition, who want to be in control, and for that reason... They are presumptuous and they create difficulties and they create problems. But we recognize even of good congregations, even of people whose hearts are wishing to do what God would have them to do, problems can even arise that are unintentional. You and I can find ourselves disagreeing about things. and We're going to even see that in our lesson this morning. But I will tell you something that I think is probably ironic to many of us is that the church grew in spite of the difficulties, in spite of the problems. In fact, whenever there was pressure placed upon the church, that's when the church grew the most. And what that does is bring to our minds the importance of dealing with these issues. Troubles can make us bitter or they can make us better. I think about lemons. Lemons are sour. Lemons are often uh, difficult to eat, but you can make sure when you put them with some sugar and some water, they make some wonderful lemonade. And you need to realize that when we have problems that arise among us, there are ways to make it better, or you and I can respond in bitterness. So we're going to look at three things this morning from the text of Acts chapter 15. First of all, we're going to look at the problems. There were problems and they needed to be addressed. Second of all, we will look at the people who were involved. 
There's always people involved. And then finally, the potential that we can find from dealing with these problems properly. Let's begin with the idea of the problems. If you've got your Bibles open there to Acts chapter 15, you realize that as we look through this first section here, that there's a major doctrinal issue. There's going to be a question that's going to arise that deals with salvation. What must a person do in order to be saved? As we learn from Acts 16 and verse 30. There's a question that is to be asked and it is a major doctrinal issue. And it's going to address these salvation issues. Second of all, is going to be a minor judgment call. As we study through Acts 15, we realize that sometimes there's disagreements about how to deal with something that is important. But after all, it is a judgment call. And we will see that in the latter part. But I think it's essential that we understand the difference. There are things in the Bible about which you and I cannot be wrong. There are doctrinal, there are biblical, there are serious issues that relate to salvation. And about those, we can't be wrong. Someone teaches differently, they're in error. On the other hand, there are some things that are matters of judgment, and that's what they are, they're judgment. There are those which you can choose this or you can choose that. Either one would be scripturally correct. And you and I need to make sure we understand the difference between those. Both issues, though, have to be dealt with in the right way. We have to make sure that we're going to take God's word and try to find out how to deal with these issues. So let's look at this major doctrinal issue in verses 1 through 5. Chris has already read to us verses 1 and 2, but let's go back and notice what Luke writes. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others should go up to the Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles. And they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Sadducees, or Pharisees, who believed rose up saying, it was necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. You see, here's the bottom line. Must Gentiles become Jews in order to be saved? You have to realize that is a principle that many in the early church had come to believe. That you had to be a Jew in order to be saved. Oh yes, you needed to repent. 
You needed to be baptized, <coughs> but you also needed to keep the law. If you don't believe this was serious, all you need to go back to is chapter 11, and you look and see how they responded to Peter after the conversion of Cornelius. Now the apostles and the brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. And when Peter had come up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. You see, in their minds is, you've got to keep that separation between Jew and Gentile. If they want to become a Jew, that's good. But if they're uncircumcised, we can't have anything to do with them. So they were teaching as a doctrinal position that a person had to keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. These were self-appointed authorities. They had taken it upon themselves to say, this is what one must do. If you look later, as Luke records in verse 24, since we have heard that some went out from us, have troubled you with words unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. It wasn't from the apostles, nor was it from the elders. These people chose to do this on their own. Paul wrote Galatians 2, verses 4 and 5. He says this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in. These are people who were appointing themselves. These were people who were seeking to be able to push their own doctrine. And the result was discord. The result was division. You can imagine what happened in the church at Antioch as we're reading here in Acts 15. There's brethren coming from Judea and they were teaching this. Verse 2 says, Therefore when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, there was a, a difficulty that arose in the congregation. You can have a church that is going along wonderful and then someone can introduce a doctrine and it produces a lot of conflict. But now how did they resolve it? You see, there's a doctrinal problem comes up. There's a major issue. How did they deal with it? First of all, the matter was brought to those who had the ability to resolve it to or address it. They brought it to the apostles and they brought it to the elders. Why them? Well, if you'll remember very plainly when Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 18, Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. But you go on to verse 17, he said, And I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It was to the apostles that he gave the right, that he gave the responsibility to reveal his will. In John chapter 14, verse 26, as well as John chapter 16 and verse 13, he said that he would guide them into all truth. And whatever things I have made known to you, I'm going to bring those things to your remembrance. You see, the, the apostles were going to be ones who would be the official 
spokesman for Christ here upon earth. But you see, God also, in his divine wisdom, saw that churches would have elders that would oversee them. In Acts 20, verse 28, he said, Take heed to yourselves and to the flock over which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God that he purchased with his own blood. Well, if you look at verse 2, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. You go to those who have the official, God-designed, God-designated role in resolving this. Verse 6, Now the apostles and the elders came together to consider the matter. So you see, they went to those who had the ability. But the second thing that you see that they did was they brought in facts and scripture. They brought in what was actually being taught, what was actually being said, and they also brought their Bibles to this. Look with me at verses 13 through 15. And after they had become silent, James answered saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how that God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. What James does, he refers to the events that took place with the household of Cornelius. Then he says, what Peter did is what the scriptures said ought to be done. You and I, when we're going to try to resolve a major doctrinal issue, need to say what is being taught And what does the Bible say on the subject? And what they did was to reach a righteous conclusion that encouraged everybody. You see, when everybody says, okay, we're going to let the Bible be our guide, we're going to follow what it says to say, there's some great encouragement that follows. Look at verses 30 and 31. So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch, and when they gathered the multitude together... They delivered the letter. And when they read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. You see, what had been taught was incorrect. The apostles and the elders addressed the matter. The truth was then recorded and was presented to the congregation. Now, second of all, there's a minor judgment call in this chapter If you'll drop down with me to verses 36 through 40, let's notice what takes place there. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John, called Mark, But Paul insisted they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. The contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed and being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. Now here are judgment calls. 
Here you have a disagreement that arises of how to do something, the means and the methods of it. Could you choose this person or that person? Doesn't matter. For instance, if the elders choose to put one man in the pulpit or another man in the pulpit, that's their wisdom, that's their judgment call. What if the elders decide they want another person to preach in the pulpit? That's fine too. You may have your opinion about the matter, and that's fine. But you see, there are always going to be questions about how something can and should be done. On this occasion, the question was over the issue of John Mark. If you'll remember carefully what is said here, as they were going on their first missionary journey, they left the island of Cyprus, they sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, and when they got there, John Mark turned around and went home. We learn from Luke's record here that he did not go with them to the work. And John Mark was a person that Barnabas thought needed to go with them. Paul said, no, he doesn't need to go with us. So the resolution was for Paul to take Silas and Barnabas to take John Mark. And you say, well, you know, there was a sharp disagreement there. Yes, there was. But I want you to observe that twice the work got done. You have Barnabas and John Mark now who go to Cyprus. That's good because we know that John Mark doesn't have any problem with the work in Cyprus. We know that he went with Paul and Barnabas there. That's, that was good. That's also where Barnabas is from and that will work well. Paul goes with Silas to that northern part of that journey. They go to the Galatian area and they're going to preach the gospel there. Now, let's talk about the people for just a second. The problems were associated with personalities. And there's always the problems associated with personalities. It's not as if there's just an issue out there that there's not somebody either teaching it or promoting it or causing problems over it. When it is a doctrinal, major, biblical, salvation issue, the troublemakers have to be marked and they have to be exposed. You have to let people know what's being taught. You have to let them know who's teaching it and what's going on. Let me give you some biblical passages to show that. When Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 16, verse 17, Now I urge you, brethren, note or mark those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learn and avoid them. Here's a person who introduces something that causes division, just like they did in the first part of Acts 15. He said, I want you to note them. I want you to, to know who they are. I want you to know what they're teaching. I want you to see what it's doing. He said, I want you to avoid those people. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14, And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person. And do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. What must we do if someone is going to try to teach error among us? We've got to know who he is. Then we've got to say, I will not walk with you. 
I will not stand with you. I could give you a number of biblical passages. Second John verses 9 through 11. If you read in the American Standard, it says, Whosoever goes onward and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ has not God. Whoever abides in the doctrine has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes into you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him to your house, nor bid him greeting, for he who bids him greeting shares in his evil deed. He said, you don't be a part of that. And then Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 16 through 18 said, But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And their message will spread like a cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. When you have people's faith being overthrown, when you have people saying the resurrection is past already, you can't go along with that. Paul even names them. Hymenaeus and Philetus. <clears throat> These were people who were causing trouble in the Lord's church. They were involved in a doctrinal dispute and from this case, we learn that they come from the sect of the Pharisees. <clears throat> they had not completely left their former religion. Those people who were converted out of Judaism, who had been taught the truth, but they brought with them some of their old doctrines with them, particularly their zeal for the Old Testament law. On the other hand, the person involved in the judgment dispute was John Mark. Now, I want you to think with me for just a moment about John Mark and think about Paul's position and Barnabas' position. When you think about Paul's position, he was like, that young man has not proved himself. That young man has shown he's not dependable. We don't need to be taking that young man on a missionary trip if he's not going to go to the work and do the work. On the other hand, Barnabas' position is he's a young man, he's made his mistakes, and he still has some good potential within him. <clears throat> Who's right? Who's wrong? It could be that they're both right. It could be that Paul is right that he has not shown himself to that point to be dependable. Maybe at some point in the future he will. It's also probably right that Barnabas could see in him some potential that says, let's take him where he can do the best work that he can do. Well, if you start thinking about young people, do they make mistakes? Absolutely. As we all do. But sometimes we can grow from it. I want you to listen to Paul's letter to Timothy, chapter 4, verse 11. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Boy, that's a major statement. Now, years later, Paul says, bring Mark. He's useful 
he's useful for ministering. When Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13, she who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. You realize that Mark turned out to be something that was worthwhile. When you start looking at problems, you start saying, okay, can this young person here overcome a struggle and a difficulty? Absolutely they can. Well, that brings me to the third part of our lesson, and that is the potential. When we look at how the church handles problems, they can be potentially a downfall or they can be potentially for something good. When you and I look at problems, we need to look at them as learning experiences. James 1, verses 2 and 3. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. I can tell you as problems arise in your own personal life, later on you can look back and say, it was good that I went through that because it made me stronger. When the Lord's church has difficulties and we resolve them correctly, it makes us stronger. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, or, verses, or 12, verses 9 and 10. Paul, after having pleaded for God to remove his thorn in the flesh, Paul says, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let me explain to you a little bit about the value of this passage. When I am weak, then I am strong. When you and I understand that we don't have all the answers and that we go to God and listen to Him, that is when strength comes. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Not to be wise in our own eyes. Trust in the Lord, and He will direct your paths. Romans 8, verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to His purpose. You and I can make things work together for good if we follow God's purpose, if we follow God's will. In both cases, the brethren... Realize the need not to allow the problems to hinder the gospel. Whether our problem is something major, something biblical, something that's doctrinal, something that you're either right or wrong on, you've got to follow God's will. You can't hinder the gospel. Or whether it's a matter of judgment, we've got to make sure that we always put the good of the Lord's church first in everything that we do. 
The church can grow in the face of difficulties. Things that come from the inside, things that come from the outside. The question is, is how will we address them? And what is required is for people to put the good of the church and the truth ahead of any personal ambitions. Now, folks, that's really tough. I don't know about you, but I like my opinions. I like my opinions, but I've got to be willing to say that the good of the church must always outweigh my opinions. And I've got to be willing to say whatever it takes to do what God wants and what His Word reveals, that I'm willing and I'm committed to doing that. If we have that attitude, then like Acts 15, we can resolve the problems among God's people. You can be a simple New Testament Christian like they were in the first century. You know, when you get to the end of a lesson, we always want to extend the Lord's invitation. And His invitation is for us to come to Him because we recognize our own sinfulness and we recognize the offer that He has for forgiveness of sins. We come to Him because we believe that Jesus is the Christ. We believe that He's the Son of God. We believe that He died for our sins. Because of that, we turn our backs on the sins that we've committed. We say, I'm sorry, Lord, for the life I've lived and for the mistakes I've made, for the directions I've been going. And now I want to go to the right direction. I want to go with you. We confess that faith before men and then we're baptized in water for the remission of our sins. We look at that pattern through the book of Acts, Acts 2. You see it again in Acts 9 with Paul. You see it in Acts 10 with Cornelius. You see it in Corinth in Acts 16, or Acts 18. See it in uh, Philippi in Acts 16. See it in Ephesus in Acts 19. Every time that a person wants to become a child of God, they're baptized for the remission of their sins. We're going to sing this song of encouragement. We're going to sing, Hark the Gentle Voice. If you are subject to the Lord's invitation, or if you as one of God's children need prayers, why not come as together we stand and sing?